and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Before we get to the show, let's get the pleasantries out of the way. First of all, our website. If you want more information about our little podcast, go to wearethecontrarians.com. That's where you'll find links to our old episodes, to our Patreon channel, and to our awesome Contrarians merch. You can show your support by buying a Contrarians mug or a pillow. I like the laptop bags myself. Second of all, if you enjoy the show, tell your friends. Or even go a step further and leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. Finally, if you want to reach out directly to us, that's what social media is for. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Contrarian Prime, or check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. Julio runs our official Twitter account at Contrarian Prime, but if you want to give me a piece of your mind or just want to banter about pro wrestling, you can follow me at Contrarian Alex. That's it. That's our intro. Now, time for the show. This is And we are recording for Contrarian's Corner for About a Boy. Put this off as long as I could, but we finally have arrived at a Hugh Grant film here. Uh, a Hugh Grant vehicle, because as we discussed in uh, leading into this, we've done... Um, was it Cloud Atlas that he was in? So, Cloud Atlas. We got multiple versions of uh, Hugh Grant. So he has been on our show before uh, as a featured player, but... Uh, never in full, unadulterated, heartthrob Hugh Grant form. So, No, he ate people in Cloud Atlas. <laughs> this is true. So, welcome to the podcast, Hugh Grant, and welcome you, the listening public, to The Contrarians, where we're right and you are wrong. My name is Alex, joined as always by my friend, my cohort, my podcasting brother down the path of the contrary, Julio Oliveira. Julio, uh, dipping our toes back into the romantic comedy field. Uh, and like I said, we have a, a huge presence from his time period, the 90s and early 2000s in Hugh Grant, but also Tony Collette and one of your favorites, Rachel Weiss, is uh, yes. making an appearance. I feel like you're almost bearing the lead, though, because this is the, the film debut of one Nicholas Holt. And introducing... Who- yeah, yeah, introducing. I wonder if they knew <laughs> when they gave him the introducing credit that years later he was still going to be at it, just popping up everywhere, uh, infuriating Alex with uh, with his success. I mean, it's true, uh, but we'll get to that in the second half. Uh, Julio, are you excited to discuss this, this Robert De Niro produced film? I saw that. <laughs> Was he a fan of the book? Is he a, a Hugh Grant uh, stan? You, uh, you got to imagine at that point, like guys like that, uh, their name ends up on shit that they don't know about, like for years. <laughs> he just signs stuff. And like early in the morning, he he hasn't even had his morning coffee, and his agents just making him sign stuff. I mean, there's a there's a very real chance he still doesn't know his name is on this movie, but. <laughs> He hasn't even seen about a boy. <laughs> he doesn't know who Nicholas Holt is. Well, for better or for worse, we're here today to discuss this. And Julio, let's just get into it. Why is this on our table today? All right. Well, the the patron invasion continues. Now, this is coming from uh, Jamie Russell, who is one of those patrons that has actually been giving us picks uh, from time to time. Uh, Jamie, uh, he, he sent us a, a little uh, note to be read in real talk. So that's what we'll get to you know why he gave us this this movie but 
I don't know that it ever would have crossed my mind to to do this movie. Like I don't think I knew that he was that it was this fresh. It's like ninety three percent. Yeah, prime contrarian's material. Yeah, that's true. Let me double check on that. But uh, I was shocked to find that. I mean, I guess people are still under the spell of Hugh Grant. And uh, yep, ninety three percent, and it's got that certified fresh logo on it, so you know it's legit. Uh, with like five hundred reviews, with a conflicting, no, it's like one eighty seven, <laughs> with a conflicting audience score of fifty five percent. Oh, I didn't see that. Mm-hmm. Did it get the the tub of popcorn that's the, falling over? The green tub of popcorn done spilled <laughs> on about a boy. Well, Jamie, thank you. Uh, and thank you, of course, to all our patrons. But we'll get to that here uh, in the second half. So for now, we'll just get into what any new listeners will need. And that's why we're here and what we're doing uh, here on The Contrarians. Myself and Julio, we like to rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine. That is our battle cry. We'll find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is highly rated. And like today's, a lot of time accompanied with that lovely uh, IP, that trademark logo, certified fresh, to let you know it's really good. It's not just good, it's really good. And what we'll do with those is, you know, kind of cut them down to size, talk about aspects of the movie that maybe don't warrant that high rating, uh, be it, you know, bad supporting acting, uh, questionable storytelling choices, poor direction, bad score, bad soundtrack. Grading child performances. Uh, yes. I mean, that that's <laughs> that's one we come back to pretty regularly. And I think uh, I thank God that Nicholas Holt uh, provides us with plenty of material for that. But uh, really, whatever we can just kind of latch on to. And conversely, we'll find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is lowly rated, one of those nasty green splotches known as Rotten, typically about 30% and below. And as you could guess, We'll make a case for the film's positive merit. Things that uh, that low rating may not uh, indicate are good. You know, good supporting acting, great soundtrack, score, cinematography, whatever it takes to say, hey, but this score isn't really warranted. Uh, we do this for two. I always say two reasons. One of them is so Julio and I can have a podcast and meet once a week and talk about movies. But uh, <laughs> our mission statement boils down to two things. Number one, uh, art is subjective. And if you set your mind to it, you can be as over the moon about something or as downright cynical about something as you want to be. And also, the Rotten Tomato system is not inherently flawed, but we find a lot of times people uh, don't always know what that percentage score means. And, you know, that it doesn't always tell the whole story about the movie and some of its quality or um, non-quality aspects. But this all comprises the first part, the first half of our episodes. We call it Contrarian's Corner. Julio, if listeners want to know how we really feel about the movie du jour, the movie we're tackling, in this case about a boy, they just have to uh, stick around and tune into part two, the second half of the show. That is correct. Part two, the aptly titled Real Talk, is where we tell you how we really feel. We forget about the tomato meter, forget about the gimmick, and we just tell you about our experience watching the movie, whether it's the first time or uh, repeat. Watch. Uh, I remember watching this one when it first came out. So uh, it's obviously been <laughs> several years, but uh, I I've had an opinion of uh, the, the kind of movie I thought about a boy was, and now that I've revisited, I I also have to uh, revise that opinion and just update it. Now that I'm I'm a grown man. Uh, Alex, is this a first time watch for you? Of course. Why would I have ever watched this movie before? <laughs> oh no, Hugh Grant. <laughs> Tony Collette. I do like Tony Collette, and I do like Rachel Weisz, so I can I can see that. There you go. Uh, so we we don't know anything about how the other one feels uh, when it comes to about a boy. 
I guess we both like American Pie, so that will be a, a point of discussion going forward. What? Uh, what do they have to do with each other? Are you kidding me? <laughs> have you done no research, sir? Did you see who directed this movie? No. Oh, it's Paul. It's and- directed by the White brothers. The, okay, well there you go. Well, I'm glad we cleared that up because I have a quote coming up, uh, I think, in Real Talk that mentions that. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> as you can see, <laughs> there's there's lots of uh, unmined material uh, for Real Talk. But first, because this movie is super fresh, we are going to talk about it as if it was super rotten. That's what Contrarian's Corner is going to be about. I expect people do that all the time. Oh, no, I think you two are the first. <laughs> Sorry. But I don't understand. How does that make you money? Carol singers have to pay a 10%. But well, I should, yeah, but you can't always catch the little bastards. <laughs> All right, about a boy, Julio. We're going back to 2002. Released in May, May 17th of 2002 here in America. Uh, originally in the United Kingdom, they got the first run of it in April, uh, April 26th of 2002. Because, you know, that damn Hugh Grant's just so fucking over, you know, and on that side of the world. So they had to get that out for three weeks ahead of time. Uh, and, you know, joking aside, it obviously paid off because this, on a $30 million budget, made $130 million. So there you go. Based on the book About a Boy by Nick Hornby. 93%. Hit me with some quotes, Julio. What were the critics saying or have been saying for the past 20 years? Okay. Out of the sea of red tomatoes, I plucked four quotes. Uh, We're going to start with Phil Villarreal from the Arizona Daily Star. And he says, about this boy, Hugh Grant, he's quite the formidable comedic presence. He had to. I had to put a a pun there. This is not even a pun. It's like a, what, a turn of phrase? Yeah. (laughs) About about this boy, Hugh Grant. Uh, They knew by now. I mean... I, I find it hard to believe that this is the movie where somebody went, oh, Hugh Grant is funny. I, I think that if you find Hugh Grant funny, you find him funny from the beginning, right? I don't know, Four Ways and the Funeral. I think that, that was his big, that was when we were first blessed slash cursed with the Hugh Grant persona. I guess so. Uh, I was trying to see what he was doing coming into this. Because, you know, he kind of... Like, this is not like uh, Robert De Niro suddenly, you know, starring in Meet the Fockers or uh, Meet the Parents or Analyze This, where it's like, oh, he's dramatic. Oh, it turns out that he can be, he can do comedy. It was like Hugh Grant was doing comedies. So Hugh Grant was coming off of two weeks notice with Sandra Bullock and the Bridget Jones Diary the year before, which, if I recall correctly, wasn't that like a smash hit? Uh, yeah. Also, both of them hard-hitting dramas. No wonder Phil Villarreal was like, I don't, what? Comedy? Hugh Grant? Mind blown. God, I forgot just like the, I forgot just the onslaught of his romantic comedies through the 90s and into the 2000s because Notting Hill was in 99, as was Mickey Blue Eyes. And you want to talk about like the most cliche movie posters you've ever seen. That's like all he put together. (laughs) His his face (laughs) front and center and then his female co-star to the side. Yep. On all of them. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, all right. Well, let's move on to Joe Morgenstern from the Wall Street Journal, who says about a boy is better than a feel good movie. It's a feel great movie. Genuinely clever, affecting you when you least expect it to be and funny from start to finish. So not good fellas, but great fellas. 
Okay, I'll, I agree with him on one thing, and that is that it, it definitely takes some left turns, this movie. Uh, just when you think you're you're settling in and you know what's going to happen, uh, shit gets dark. And But that doesn't mean that's good. <laughs> you know? yeah. Not every movie can be like looser and, and pull it off uh, when, when you have like suicide attempts or, you know, stuff of that that caliber. Next, Harvey S. Carton from CompuServe says, What could have been an unctuous sitcom is instead an earthy, witty, enchanting look at a swinging bachelor who never knew what he was missing. That's almost like what the, what the trailer would say. Yeah, that, um, that's the elevator pitch right there. Yeah. Uh, Alex, you are a swinging bachelor. <laughs> I, 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 I am not a swinging bachelor anymore. But... I remember my days as a swinging bachelor, and uh, I I would feel a little insulted by this movie trying to tell me that my life is not uh, is not fulfilling. <laughs> yeah did you did you feel attacked by about a boy? Oh yeah, and this is like one of those hilarious movies. You know, we we've argued a lot about um, if you go back to our Twilight episode, we read some reviews that talk about. All movies these days just vilify having kids as some like you know curse, and uh, this one hilariously so. I don't think all movies do that. I would argue that's not the case, but this one is kind of like, man, look at this guy's life. If he had kids, it would be ruined. <laughs> like if he was married and had children, he wouldn't have his fucking awesome modern apartment and his cool clothes and you know his ability to just go out in the town and whatnot. I know that common wisdom and a lot of people would tell you that lifelong bachelors are unfulfilled and, you know, want more out of life. And, you know, I'm still view myself as a young man, so I don't know if I can speak to that quite yet. But uh, this one, like, vilifies bachelorhood. It's like you need to get out and find someone and have a fucking kid. That's your responsibility, (laughs) damn it. (laughs) Advance humanity. yeah, it, it's it, and we'll get into it, but it's just that weird uh, message of, on one hand, you're portraying the bachelor life as being awesome, while trying to tell me that no matter what, it's it's even better because this guy, no, he's not having as much fun as you as you think. He's actually deep down, he's really sad and lonely, <laughs> and needs Nicholas Holt to really complete him. Um, I'm gonna close with Contrarian's favorite, Ken Hankey from Mountain Express, Asheville, North Carolina, who says, a pretty extreme leap for two guys whose previous idea of both unorthodox and sophistication consisted of utilizing a pie in a way Mrs. Smith never had in mind. You get it, Alex? I do. <laughs> <laughs> because they directed American Pie. Yeah, I mean, that's there's nothing wrong with making two movies that made a shit ton of money, so... <laughs> <laughs> but, well, I mean, I don't remember, but... Did, did they advertise this as from the directors of American Pie? I would highly doubt it because this is a PG-13. <laughs> it's like the um, death sentence poster from the directors of American Pie comes a story about love in all the wrong places. <laughs> Every time Hugh Grant goes to the kitchen, you start wondering <laughs> what's going to happen. Um, well, those are the quotes, Alex. The table is set. Uh, take us to Contern's Corner. In my opinion, all men are islands. And what's more, now's the time to be one. This is an island age. Will Freeman lives a carefree lifestyle without any responsibility or commitments thanks to royalties left to him by his father's successful Christmas song. Will joins the single parents alone together, spat, community group, under the pretense that he is a father to an imaginary kid. 
Ned is the name of the kid, um, but instead aims to meet single mothers. Will meets Susie, who he is attracted to, but also meets Marcus, the socially awkward son of one of Susie's friends, unexpectedly on a planned playdate. When Will and Susie take Marcus home, they find Marcus's mother, Fiona, who suffers from bouts of depression, has attempted suicide and rushed her to the hospital in time. Now, this sounds like a great time at the movies. <laughs> yes, <laughs> this is uh, directed by, I don't know, somebody that's just one of those hard-hitting... Uh, Michael Haneke. <laughs> Michael <laughs> Yeah, I mean, why not? <laughs> Sidney Pollock. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'd watch it. Yeah, it, it's just not... But then they tell you, oh, but it stars Hugh Grant. You're like, wait, What? <laughs> You're catching me off guard here. What the fuck's going on? So, uh, Universal Signature to start it. Always got to call that out. It. Uh, I thought I started the wrong movie when this came on because we just get the the audio of an episode of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? It's like Slumdog. Do we watch? <laughs> Do I pick the wrong movie? What does that do for you when uh, when you hear Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Because that's that's not a thing anymore. Right? I mean, if it's still that, that's not. I no. That ended. I mean, yeah. I don't. I don't know if it's on in any country still or anything. But like, that was a fucking cultural sensation, Regis. You know, for like a year. Two Who years, wants to right? be a millionaire? But yeah, I mean, I think of Regis, and I'm always going to think of Slumdog. Now, the the um, acceptance I had that that's a good movie when we recorded our episode on that. <laughs> So, so what you're saying is this is just a cheap trick from the Whites Brothers to get on your good side. I guess, yeah. It's the British version. And like, there's really not enough time to fixate on it because you're beaten over the head with uh, the fact that this movie is going to feature a Hugh Grant voiceover, which is this movie is just like if you put the on paper these names and this, you know, the shoestring premise of this. It's just all the shit people would start yelling at the screen. All right. Or the the blackboard, excuse me. All right. Hugh Grant has to do a voiceover. But then when the kid comes in, the kid does a voiceover. All right. You know, that's it's uh, a whole fucking stockpile of cliches. Can this kid sing? Doesn't matter. Make him sing. <laughs> it's even funnier if he can't. So, <laughs> yeah, the parts are there. We get the introducing Nicholas Holt. And I'd say, do we have to? A chill goes down your spine. <laughs> can we can we put him back? <laughs> <laughs> I think we we because you know most episodes you will do the disclaimer and, and I will join. We are like you know what we're not gonna get actors. I mean they have it hard enough to begin with. We're not gonna harp on them. Whatever. But I think that we have a, a nice out in this case because we know Nicholas Holt grows up to take over Hollywood and become an X-Men and so on. So I think it's okay to pick on him a little. That fucker, he's one of those actors that there's a separate Wikipedia page just for his performances. So fuck him. We can be <laughs> mean to him all we want. <laughs> Anyone who is in Dark Phoenix is not a sacred cow. And I'm sorry that includes you, Mr. <laughs> Fossbender. Yeah. It's, yeah, Holt has X-Men money to burn. So so this movie, it does kind of something that I don't miss in movies. The pendulum doth swing when it comes to filmmaking in movies. And I think we've gone to the extremes. And now I think there's this craze of demonstrating that people with kids can still have fun lives. 
Whereas <laughs> throughout the 80s and 90s and kind of the death rattle into the early 2000s, the thing was like, <laughs> I don't know how she does it. The, the type of movie of, <laughs> you know, these people with kids are just so like disheveled and, oh man, how, their lives are so tough. And then, But then the other side of the coin was shit like this where movies vilify people like viciously that don't want to have kids because you know this movie makes Hugh Grant look like the biggest sack of shit in the world because he doesn't want to have kids (laughs) dude but the the worst part is that this movie is basically those people because those people exist the people that just want back off when you tell them that you don't want to have kids as somebody who proudly and loudly proclaims (laughs) That that I don't want to have kids. Like both me and my wife decided that a long time ago, and uh, I would say seventy five percent of the time, that statement. And it's not like we you know go looking for it, but whenever somebody asks, and we're like, no, I don't really want to. I would say seventy five percent of the time, it, that statement is met with uh, disbelief and just kind of this eye roll as in like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, and. That is, that's what this movie is. <laughs> this movie, it's the essence of that. It's stretched over 90 minutes, 100 minutes. It's a movie that is 100% convinced that anybody's life is automatically improved if you have a child being part of it. But they don't even like show that well because like all of the shots of Hugh Grant's apartment, it's like, God, this dude's life is awesome. And then, you know, Tony Collette and her house is like a fucking mess. But <laughs> I do, um, I don't know. I used to, I think it was cool or like kind of fun to hold babies when I was younger. But now like I related to Hugh Grant so much when they just like hand this baby to him and he's holding it like, you know, you would hold like a plant <laughs> or like um how you would hold like a pot roast or something that you're getting ready to put into the, the, the oven or the skillet. Cause, but he, um you know, the movie, this part here in the beginning where his friends try to make him the, a godfather for their baby. He rightly says, I'm the worst possible option for that. But then the movie tries to make him like the bad guy for that. Well, yeah, because the movie has to push it. You know, they can't just have it. Uh, him saying, "Hey, I'm not a good idea. It's not a good idea. I'm not a good candidate." But then he goes on and rambles on about how, like, when that little girl grows up, he's probably gonna try to hook up with her. And it's like, dude, come on, <laughs> quit while you're ahead, Hugh. <laughs> yeah, uh, I can relate to some of it because this thing is just like not wanting to have kids, and then him figuring out that like single moms are perfect for the bachelor life. He's like passionate sex, and then you know inevitably they're, they're damaged somehow and then you kind of get in and get out uh, and I'm like man I, he, he has not watched Jerry Maguire <laughs> I get that Hugh uh, but but you know it's a different era man imagine if like something like this was released now and we we're supposed to find this funny this guy's like manipulating and taking advantage of these women and it's supposed to be charming what he's doing because we know he's going to learn his lesson in the end this is why romantic comedies, by and large, don't exist anymore, because as many great romantic comedies as there have been, by and large, the tropes in them are fairly problematic and don't hold up to modern <laughs> scrutiny. Yeah, I, I think that uh, Hugh Grant maybe makes it 30 minutes before being completely canceled, and that's the end of the movie. Single mums. Why hadn't anyone told me about them before? Passionate sex, a lot of ego massage, and a guilt-free party. And there must be thousands of them just waiting for a nice guy to sleep with and break up with. Fabulous, sexy, gorgeous single mums. I guess the Wise Brothers and Nick Hornsby, uh, they're fans of Fight Club. Because he does... Uh, Can't wait to see where this goes. Because he infiltrates the the support group. 
you know, like uh, Edward uh, Norton infiltrates the support groups in, in Fight Club. Uh, uh, now, Norton's not trying to hook up. Norton's just trying to find peace of mind. But here, he infiltrates the, the single moms group. And there's this whole sequence where he's just there faking it and making up stuff. And, and then <laughs> the worst part is it works. <laughs> you know, I thought that this was going to be something that proved that, oh, man can be so stupid. You know, he, he thinks that this is the perfect way to pick up single moms and uh god damn it he picks up a single mom <laughs> that is the fan- the fantasy of this movie is that he's smarter than women with as we know and uh always trumpet it's not the case women are by and large more intelligent than men this is almost as dumb as uh when in kin uh the older brother is going to pretend that dennis quaid's still alive <laughs> it was like he comes he, he <laughs> lies about having a two-year-old son and then goes on dates with with this single mother that obviously is going to wonder where the little kid is. As if there's no way to determine, you know, the situation at hand. All he, all he has to do is buy a car seat and put some uh, potato chips on it. That's it. Marcus Nicholas Holt appears. And when it's his part of the story, he does the voiceover versus Hugh Grant. And it's just so impish and whimsical. And we're introduced <laughs> to Tony Collette, who plays Fiona. She's the single mother of uh marcus and despite getting you know a a prominent billing in this i still can't help but feel they could have gotten more out of tony collette because uh, as we read about she attempts suicide then she's just kind of out of the movie for a while and then has like three scenes throughout the remainder of it and again this is tony collette we're talking about uh so i feel that we could have spent less time with this dude hanging out with a little kid and figured out a way for Tony Collette to have some more screen time. I think the problem is that when she comes in, she comes in strong and uh, the movie can't handle that. Uh, it's weird. I don't know how you make this work. Alex, Tony Collette is, is a great actress, but this is mostly pitched as a comedy and most of her scenes are just very dramatic and sad. And, uh, you know, there's a woman that's dealing with some heavy shit and she tries to kill herself. And I don't know how you fix it. Like, as far as the, the structure of the movie, right? You're, you're having fun. You're, you're just following Hugh Grant's fluffy adventures. And then everything comes to a screeching halt, uh, when, uh, Tony Collette is there because it, this movie, as dumb as it is, uh, at least it kind of knows that there's no easy fix for the Tony Collette problem. You know, it's like she's depressed. She's suffering from depression. That's uh, Hugh Grant can't fix that. <laughs> and for all its missteps, the movie at least acknowledges that. But the problem is that that's still there. It's part of the movie. You have a character that is just uh, going through some really serious stuff. And next to that, the, the rest of the movie just feels kind of inconsequential. Yeah, she does have depression and attempts to take her own life, and it's a bit of a tone shock for this. You remember when movies like that ended up having a light and fun tone would just like haphazardly introduce some insane aspect to it that involved death or mortality in some way? <laughs> and it's not like we hear about it via phone call. They find her barely responding, you know, kind of covered in vomit on the couch. It's uh it's a bit of a shock to the system for the tone we've set so far with Hugh Grant not knowing how to hold a baby. From the directors of American Pie. <laughs> That's the Criterion cover is Tony Collette passed out on the couch with the, the, the vomit on herself. <laughs> and it says, you know, about a boy. And then on the back, 
from the directors of American Pie and featuring an essay by Peter Travers or somebody on. (laughs) (laughs) Would it be in color or black and white, though? It It would have to be black and white. It's black and white, and you have the option of watching the movie without any uh, soundtrack or uh, incidental music. (laughs) The only thing that has color in the movie is Rachel Weisz's red dress. (laughs) I was about to say, so we get to, I'm just anxious to get to a real fucking star, and Rachel Weisz doesn't come in until the end of the second act. Uh, So Tony Collette, I asked a question, and I haven't allowed you to answer, Julio. This is a bit much for the movie we're watching. Yes, a hundred percent. It it just completely throws the movie off balance, and we never recover. Because I don't know about you, but as the movie moved past this suicide attempt and tried to get back into the groove of oh, this is just about Hugh Grant learning to be a better person. Um, well, the, the the specter of the of the suicide attempt just hovers over the rest of the movie. Uh, I, I mean, maybe it's just because y- y- when you watch the movie as an adult, you're like that's this is not a one and done. A suicide attempt has long-lasting consequences, mm-hmm. and uh, you just you just know that the, the the Tony Collette character is there, you know, kind of like as a time bomb of like, okay, when are we gonna get the next big dramatic moment? And uh, that kind of keeps you from enjoying the all the light stuff, you know, <laughs> Hugh Grant going on dates and Hugh Grant watching TV or whatever. That's uh, it's kind of uncomfortable to watch it because you you just want to you just know that tragedy is just around the corner it, it eventually it happens you know there's after about an hour of movie we come to a scene where uh tony collette is crying again and you're like oh god here it is that what i was fearing the entire movie and it comes to pass so uh, i just couldn't really enjoy myself after that they literally try to like explain it away in one scene where she's like well i feel okay today all right <laughs> so we're good then yeah you know what we need we need a tony collette voiceover God, so that we could really believe that she was okay. I know that's rarely done because it distracts and confuses the audience. But this is one of those movies that could have, I think, benefited if every character we encounter, you know, of consequence. So Hugh Grant, Nicholas Holt, Tony Collette, Rachel Weisz, and then maybe one other character have their own voiceovers. But not to be, not every girl. Uh, what's her name? It's Ellie L. The girl oh, that befriends. Uh, yeah, uh, the one that Marcus has a crush on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We get a montage of like the fallout of this. Hugh Grant is very self-obsessed and doesn't really want anything to do with this kid, despite this kid being determined to make a friendship out of this or something. He eventually gets Hugh to agree to go on a, a date with his mom. It's clear there's nothing between them, but this kid thinks he can just kind of force will it into existence. If he says it enough, it'll come true that um, Hugh Grant will become his stepdad or, you know, that will will just be around in his life more. That's his plan to cure his mom's depression. Get her to date Hugh Grant. I mean, I could see a solid th- plan. <laughs> could work. It could work. Uh, in an interesting scene, and I think that's about the nicest way I can put it, uh, we learn that Marcus and his mom Fiona's like song is Killing Me Softly, which of course would go on to define the Fugees in some ways. Um, and much like me watching this, Hugh Grant's like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> uh, were you expecting? I guess it's it's a double whammy that comes at you really fast. Because I was going to say, were you expecting to uh, hear Nicholas Holt sing in this movie? And he sings a lot, but also 
Tony Collette, I mean, you know, this is the only time that she sings in the movie, but it's uh, it's not good. <laughs> it was disappointing. I am so used to uh, just, I guess, holding Tony Collette to this pedestal of excellence in everything she does. And I know she's probably intentionally being bad because that's, that's the joke. That it's pretty cringy that they're singing, but uh, I don't know. I didn't need that. <laughs> I think that it would have been okay if it was just a kid singing. Uh, when you when you add uh, Tony Collette to the mix, it's just too much. My heart, he sang a good song. My heart, he had a style. I knew, of course, that the song couldn't last forever, that I'd soon be at home, tucked up in bed. I knew it, but I couldn't feel it. So Marcus begins hanging out with uh, Will after school, just kind of learning more about each other, just talking. It is innocent, and you know, I think in uh, Marcus's case, he's looking for a mentor, and Will's just so oblivious he doesn't see that, and he just kind of thinks he's making like a little friend in all this. He learns that Marcus is being pretty relentlessly bullied at school, uh, something that his mom is very blind to, which is you know that's a real problem. Parents don't really understand sometimes the issues their kids go through, and sometimes a uh, an outside third party can bring a little bit of um, unexpected insight to it. Yeah, uh, throughout all this, I, I hate to say it, but I was just wondering, where is the blonde friend that uh, Hugh Grant was dating? This is how we got into this mess. He was dating the the hot blonde mom that he met at the, at the support group. And then she just kind of disappears from the movie. Susie. She comes back a little bit later. Yeah, Susie. But you know what I mean? Like, he, he made up the... the imaginary kid that he had she bought it they went out and had a date and then she just disappeared like we never got to see like what happened you know she comes back later at, at christmas but i i miss her for this chunk of the movie because also she was uh, a lot more interesting than uh than nicholas holt <laughs> i want to see hugh grant hang out with this kid i want to see hugh grant dating the the kid's uh, mom's friend this culminates, this sequence of the film culminates in this god-awful dinner scene that you would see on, like, public freakouts or something, where <laughs> Tony Collette confronts uh, Will in a restaurant where he's on a date asking why her 12-year-old son's been hanging out at his house and insinuates some pretty heavy shit. And uh, rightfully so, Will kind of takes offense to this, like, and as it should be, his first question is to Marcus, is like, you haven't been telling your mom you've been coming to my house? <laughs> And then his second question is Tony Collette. like, how fucking dare you? Yeah. Can you imagine like watching something like this play out in public, how skin crawling it would be? I think the worst part is that because uh, he's not on a date, Alex. He's with uh, with his friend, the, the, the lady that wanted him to be the godfather of uh, her daughter at the beginning of the movie. You're right. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, which makes it the more damning because they, you know, they have this big blow up where, where Basically, Tony Collette insinuates that that uh, Hugh Grant is a pedophile, and uh, you know they have a back and forth, and then there's this moment of calm, and then his friend, Hugh Grant's friend, looks at him and he's like, "Well, so she basically said, so are you?" And Hugh Grant has said, like, "No, of course I'm not." And it's like his friend had to ask him. <laughs> like I understand, there are all the other people that don't know him in the restaurant. They're probably. They're wondering why he has a twelve-year-old over at his house every day, but uh, but his friend would know better. It, it was. It's just awkward. That's when I felt it. I was like, oh, from the guys that directed, uh, from the guys that directed American Pie, here it is. Here's some uh, Stifler humor. It's a classic mix-up. Audiences will <laughs> love this. <laughs> uh, well, but then this. 
So this was just kind of like, okay, whatever. I, I was rolling my eyes at just how uh, how out of control this got. But when it gets bad is when Tony Collette uses this as an excuse to get Hugh Grant to officially uh, start parenting her son. Right? Like she sits down, she calms down, she's like, okay, I'm not mad at you anymore, but you can't just disappear from my son's life now. Now you have a responsibility. And now you're gonna spend Christmas with us. That's like the nerve. Yeah, <laughs> what kind imagine? of ass backwards shit is that, man? Again, it's just that logic of, oh, well, we have kids, so we know better than you. And it doesn't matter that you just want to be left alone and that you uh you didn't ask for any of this. No. The needs of my child <laughs> come above the needs of you, somebody who has zero connection to him. And the worst part is that uh, what's infuriating is that the movie sides with Tony Collette. The movie sides with anybody that tells Hugh Grant that his life is not, that he's not living life the right way. He gets it from all angles at the dinner thing because they're like, you are, someone says something about him being in the wrong. And then the waitress and his friend there agree with like the, the situation. They purse their lips and just nod. Like, uh huh. I hear that, girlfriend. <laughs> it's Christmas time. I've never heard of a man watching Frankenstein at Christmas, but that's what Hugh Grant does. Because his life rules. He, he says, uh, I'm just going to get drunk and watch movies. And I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with that? That sounds like a perfect Christmas day to me. <laughs> Got to do some cooking, though, in there and make some, make some good food. But he goes over to uh, Fiona and Marcus's and celebrates Christmas with them and uh along with it's um Marcus's uh you know biological father along with his mom and his girlfriend it's an awkward scene very quirky characters yes and there is like the perfect Hugh Grant moment where Marcus gives him a Christmas gift and it's a guide for single parents and he goes is this a joke and Marcus goes yeah and it's that perfect delay and Hugh Grant it's pretty good. Like just the, the <laughs> delivery of it, like that, like two second clip is just a perfect isolation of Hugh Grant as an actor. Were you surprised that uh, that he ended up that the movie tells us that he ended up enjoying this Christmas, which is incredibly awkward because uh, you know Marcus's dad and his family, you know his new wife and his mom, they're kind of like on the side, and they seem like they at best they think that Hugh Grant is an idiot and at worst, like in the case of the older lady, they just don't get what's going on at all. So it's really weird when cut to, you know, five minutes later and Hugh Grant's voiceover tells us that, oh, but this is actually really good. I was enjoying myself. I was like, how are you enjoying yourself? You're spending Christmas with strangers and not even friendly strangers, just like awkward strangers. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I guess that's supposed to speak to how he's damaged or broken or something that he gets enjoyment out of this. He is confronted by um Susie and you know she right rightfully shames him for all the lies he's told up until this point. It leads into a big shouting match and Marcus is going to spill the beans that Fiona tried to kill herself, but Will uh does the right thing and kind of cuts the conversation off at the pass and you know tries to move on. He does buy uh, Marcus a CD player and a mystical album. It's supposed I mean, it's supposed to be funny because the the old woman there doesn't know what rap is. <laughs> well, it's also it's also supposed to be funny because it sets up more cringy singing from Nicholas Holt down the line. Now he's gonna rap. Yeah, I kind of blocked that out of my memory, but it does pay off later with that mystical song. The watch yourself, shake your ass that. 
which was <laughs> a big hit of the day, so timely. Sorry, I was singing along to this song by Mystical. It's a rap. You like rap? A little. It's by black people mostly, and they're pretty angry most of the time. Sometimes they just want to have sex. A real star enters the fray as Rachel Weiss, uh, her character, the creative geniuses behind this, named Rachel, so working overtime on that script, shows up and hits it off with Hugh Grant. He has to go through the process of explaining he doesn't work, which everyone vilifies, which again, Julio, if I had a massive inheritance and didn't have to work, I'd think that was pretty cool, but... I guess, you know, the the United Kingdom wanted to make sure that everyone stayed in the workforce and didn't have any delusions of grandeur of retiring early. I hate the fact that that Hugh Grant actually lets everybody shame him. He seems so embarrassed of the fact that he doesn't work. You know what I mean? Like, every time he comes up, he he's just like, uh, well, I don't really want to say, and I do nothing. But what do you mean? I do nothing. I would just be very plain about it. Or like, oh, no, I'm rich. I don't have to work. And the fact that they try to pretend like that is not a plus when he's trying to date someone. Who doesn't want a a sugar daddy? No shit. I guess he could say, like, I'm in investments or something like that. But still, it's, yeah, the way this movie tries to, like, vilify him for being blessed in life is uh, questionable. Yeah, I'm I'm in the music industry. That's it. That's all they need to know. (laughs) The office where Michael's in New York. And he's like, Ryan says to tell girls you're in finance. And a girl asks, like, what do you do? And he says, I'm a bank teller. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, Rachel Weiss. Um, she falls for it. Well, she doesn't, she doesn't fall for that. She falls for the fact that he he doesn't insinuate. And I'm on Hugh Grant's side here. He says he knows a 12-year-old kid who would disagree with something she said. And she takes that as to mean it's his kid. And, and then he doesn't correct her. <laughs> yes, but again, it's her assumption, so it's her fault. <laughs> uh, I think that maybe Hugh Grant crosses the line when he actually recruits Marcus to pretend to be his kid. Oh, dude, yeah, that, I I kid. That That's the one part. It was a bridge too far, and it's like, that's the part of the movie, too, that they don't overtly vilify him for. It's like he's lying to this woman about having a kid. Um, which he's done. But isn't he adorable? But yeah, <laughs> because he, the voiceover tells us that he's falling in love. See, he and that's the thing. It was kind of funny when he did it in the beginning because there was no kid, and now he's just pretending this kid is his. And it's like, oh, isn't that cute? He has learned nothing. It's been an hour and ten minutes, and he's learned nothing. <laughs> uh, real talk in Trans Corner. Rachel Weisz is gorgeous. I think that the, the oh, biggest yes. problem in the movie now is that. Once she shows up, you just wanted to stick around for the rest of the movie. And uh, the problem is, you know, Hugh Grant's going to fuck it up. <laughs> Typically the case with uh, anything Rachel Weiss is in. And she's kind of intermittent here. It seems like one of those movies they had over four days and they're like, all right, we got to figure out what to do. Uh, we mentioned the kid rapping. Julio is the Ellie character consequential enough to bring up because there's this girl that Marcus has a crush on in school, but in the end, it turns out to just be a friendship. So why? Well, it's consequential, I think, because it's it's uh, it illustrates the bigger problem with uh, the Marcus character and Nicholas Holt's performance and just this misunderstanding, I think, uh, that the movie has. Uh, they, the movie overestimates how much people would find Marcus amusing, like somebody that you want to spend time with. You know, he's he's a kid to begin with. 
But the movie's trying to tell us that, oh, Hugh Grant would willingly hang out with him. And then once Ellie shows up, I mean, she's she's older, right? Like, she looks like like she has a few years on him. It's not like they're in the same grade or anything. And yet she somehow finds him charming because he's rapping. <laughs> and then and now they hang out. Like, I don't even, it's not even, uh, like, I don't need it to be romantic for it to feel a little uh contrived you know like yeah. even a, a friendship still feels contrived because she's especially because she's kind of like the tough cool girl and it's like what does she see in this kid but i think that that's just the perfect example of perfect symbol of what's one of the biggest flaws in the movie and that is that the movie assumes that everybody would find marcus you know genial it, i was surprised honestly that ellie makes an appearance at the very end <laughs> the, he really got his claws in her and she substantially friend zoned him. There, there's no hope of like romance with them in the end. I mean, jumping to the, the the very last scene, he does get a little bit of a makeover that makes him look a little older. So maybe you know he'll hit his growth spurt. <laughs> True. <laughs> maybe he'll have a chance. Stranger things have happened. Uh, we have a a date, a day date with Rachel Weiss and Will. He shows up and introduces. Um, Marcus as his son, who's then introduced to Ollie, who is Rachel's son. She's a single parent as well. And, you know, they definitely don't hit it off. He's a he's a bit protective of his mother. He's also got a Limp Biscuit poster in his room in 2002, so he's got bigger problems going on. <laughs> what's, uh, what's with the performance of this kid, uh, Ollie? He yells a lot. He does. He's very emotional, and he doesn't want his mom being taken away uh, doesn't want her being with anyone but him, which is obviously like a real thing that would happen to a kid at that age, and something that does happen, and in, you know, a situation and individual cases that sometimes needs to be addressed. But in this case, it's played for laughs. So, ha 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 ha. This is, uh, uh, yeah, it's pretty cringy. The the voiceover. Thank God for the voiceover, because otherwise, we wouldn't have figured out that uh, that Hugh Grant has the hots for Rachel Weisz. It's weird that he he starts having these thoughts about how he's becoming more like Marcus. You know what I mean? Like, well, I, I mean, you know, because the, the voiceover tells you. <laughs> yeah, that's what it leads into here is him learning from this kid, and you get these long contemplative, you know, staring off into nothingness shots of Hugh Grant, and then he realizes this is where he realizes he needs to come clean with Rachel Weiss, correct? Yes, terrible idea. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 no, I take it back. It's not terrible. Yeah, it's, it's terrible execution. You know, like the way he comes clean is, it's, uh, it leaves a lot to be desired. Yeah, they have dinner, right? And he explains, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not his uh, biological father, but I also don't live with him. Uh, and he tries to like cue to his way out of it. And it doesn't work. And then he just <laughs> gives up and leaves the dinner scene. Yes. He keeps trying to change the subject, and Rachel Weiss keeps going, I'm sorry, I don't mean to harp on this, but can you explain? <laughs> she's too good for this movie, Alex. Yeah, and she's doing that perfect, like, um, like her and Fred Claus, where she's kind of uh, aghast and overwhelmed at the situation, but trying to keep, like, a level head. And the whole scene is, it just plays out in a really confusing manner, because we as the audience were like, 
All right, so we just watched you go through this realization and like smartening up sequence, and then you go into this with the dumbest possible game plan. So you've like learned nothing, and you could it. Correct me if I'm wrong. It could have worked if he just explained the situation that he's like kind of a mentor and a friend to him. Exactly. She kept saying, "Okay, can you explain?" And I'm like, you know, if you if you actually tell her about the suicide attempt. It all makes a lot of sense. <laughs> you know, this kid, he doesn't have a dad, and he started showing up at your place, and now you're kind of a, a paternal figure. So, you know, it's a bit of a stretch, but but it it still it makes you. It doesn't make you come across as a complete creep. When she asked, "Can you explain it?" He should have just said, "Have you not been watching the movie? <laughs> have you read about a boy?" <laughs> well, obviously, I played a part. I can see that. No, not at all. I met you, and I thought. Cute guy. God, if only he had a son. A geeky teenage kid, if possible. And then you turned up at my house with Marcus and bingo. Now, I made this crazy link because of some deep psychological need in me. We shouldn't beat yourself up about it. Sadness and conflict follow. He, uh, Will is disappointed in the outcome of things. He's disappointed in himself. He has kind of a, an emotional showdown with... Marcus and saying, you know, I'm not your father, I'm not your brother, I'm not your uncle. Like, what do you want from me? I, I can't do anything for you. And this somehow results in Marcus thinking if he sings, it will solve everything. Yeah. Tony Collette had that ominous line earlier in the movie where she tells him, where she tells Marcus that uh, when he sings, it's like sunshine in her soul. Right? She might want to get that checked out. <laughs> could be some sort of some form of heart disease <laughs> when you hear you sing i cringe so much that my heart flutters we get the pretty persuasion shot though do you notice that where it's the the point of view of behind the sign up sheet i know pretty persuasion oh. came out after this but that's Dude. for for the purposes of our podcast lexicon that's what i'm gonna refer to it as okay alex Gotta let you know that uh, if you say the pre-persuasion shot, what I think of is the overhead shot of any time that somebody was uh, performing oral sex in that, that movie. That is fair. That is fair. But So you can just think, I was like instantly started rewinding the movie. I was like, ooh, what? When did that happen? <laughs> Why? <laughs> Hugh Grant? <laughs> so, okay. So he signs up to this uh, Kids Rock talent Kids show. Kids spelled with a Z. Yep. Uh did your heart sink when you realized where the movie was going? When you realized what the climatic scene was going to be? Yes, and it was still was worse than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know he was going to sing uh, Killing Me Softly? I assumed, because that's his and his mom's song. Well, he could have rapped. That that was you know, oh, the other yeah, option. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they had like the break dancers beforehand, and... Will learns of this, so and he has like a final discussion with Fiona. It's like we need to, you know, don't try to kill yourself again. A very, can, can you fix your depression, please? Yeah, an oversimplification. You know, we need to be there for Marcus, who's about to commit social suicide. So they both go to the school, and within thirty seconds, this is where Fiona learns that she's been wrong the whole time, and she's a bad mother, and that <laughs> Will has been right, and everything he's saying. Uh, they get there and. The boy who's going to perform with Marcus backs out last minute because he knows he's going to get chewed up by the crowd. And the crowd starts doing the slow clap uh, to like 
urge him on to take the stage and then Hugh Grant shows up and they have like this maybe like three minute back and forth and the crowd is clapping the entire time <laughs> like they're not stopping and he's just explaining like you can't go out there and do this he's like but I want to and so there's a guy there's an old guy I guess he's a teacher uh, who is taking this very seriously like, he really cares about this talent show yeah and- like I was glad when uh, Hugh Grant told him to fuck off bugger off yeah <laughs> So they hit the stage and do like a duet. And I guess the idea, Julio, here is that like Hugh Grant's going to be cool and play the guitar for it. But then he he makes an ass of himself at the end so that even Marcus can laugh at him. And then the, everyone just forgives it. I, I don't know what the, the game plan is here. It's not like Mean Girls where everyone starts singing along. It's still really awkward. And I don't know how Marcus comes out better for it in the end. So you think that it was intentional that, that he... Because the way I saw it is because there's a brief moment where they have the audience, right? Because Hugh, yeah. first, uh, uh, Nicholas Holt is singing by himself. It, it's going horribly, <laughs> as bad as you expected, maybe worse. And then Hugh Grant joins him, and you get closer to people, and they're like, oh, this is cute. He's playing the guitar, He's and then he starts singing along. Then they hit an end point, and people are about to clap. Nicholas Holt starts bowing, and then... I felt that Hugh Grant was just caught up in the emotion of the moment. And he just kept singing, uh, not as a plan to, you know, make Marcus look cooler, but also, but just because he became it, that was his transformation into Marcus was completed, and you know he became a complete dork. I just he took closed it his eyes, Alex. He just stole fucking Nicholas Holt's heat. He was just like, all right, <laughs> this is my moment now. Either way, I don't know how it's a happy ending. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it's not even like Hugh Grant was a great singer. He was better than Nicholas Holt, but that's not a, that wasn't like a, a musical performance for the ages. No, and it doesn't even have like that. Everyone joins in and like you know really feel good moment. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. The only moment that you get is uh, the best part is the Rachel Weisz's close up. I guess she forgives him because you yes. can play the guitar. Obviously, she does because it flashes forward to the next Christmas and they're an item and he's, you know, entertaining the idea of marrying her. And everyone's there as a big happy family. And then my notes say, oh, fuck off, because the last shot of the movie is Nicholas Holt looking into the camera and smiling. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) His voiceover is something about how, uh, uh, like Bon Jovi said, no man is an island. (laughs) And then he smiles because he knows that uh, we're onto him. Freeze frame. Uh, dude, it, it's just so. So that's the message of the movie. The message of the movie is uh, I don't care how super awesome your bachelor life is. Uh, you may have all the money in the world and all the gizmos, and you can date a different woman every day. Have no worries. But you know what? That does not compare to your house being crowded with strangers <laughs> and their kids <laughs> uh, who are going to be constantly judging you and nagging at you and asking you when you're going to get married and where you're going to have kids of your own. God, what a nightmare, dude. It, but that's supposed to be the happy ending. It, is Nicholas Holt looking at the, at the camera at the end, just him kind of being complicit and being like, I know this is bullshit, but you sat through the entire movie. <laughs> I don't know. I just know it annoyed me. I was like, man... And you're going to be around forever now. I got to deal with you. <laughs> Who the fuck do you think you are? McCall Culkin? <laughs> Who do you think you are? Eddie Redmayne? <laughs> There's two of them. 
they are the same people. And there's two. This could have been Eddie Redmayne, just all the same. Just put a really bad bowl cut on him. And yes, we have reached the end. Get all these fucking people out of my apartment. I want to be alone. <laughs> a man can't be an island. Damn it. And that's it. Uh, let's go to real talk, Alex. Let's let's see what we really have to say about uh, Mr. Holt, Mr. Grant, Miss Colette, and Miss Weiss. Weiss without a T. There's no relation to the directors. Let's do it. Strumming my pain with his fingers. with fever and I respond 